please welcome Pastor Chris Nixon to come and share the word with us this morning. Thank you. Good morning. All right. And thus the shuffle. So do you believe it? Do you believe that our God is ever almighty to save? Do you really believe it? Yeah? Our God is ever almighty to save. Don't let your faith waver. Some of you are holding on. If you're like me, you're holding on to that. Sometimes you're just holding on to that. Sometimes you're really gripping it with firm faith. But sometimes we're just barely holding on to that. Our God is ever almighty to save. Let your hope arise today. Let your faith be stirred up. Our God is ever almighty to save. He does not give up. He does not give up on his promises. He looks over his word to perform it. He is ever almighty to save. His arm is not too short. You know those little Tyrannosaurus Rexes? I love that card. I think I gave it to Isaac last year for his birthday. It says, I love you this much. It's this picture of this Tyrannosaurus Rex. Oh, I love him to the moon and back, to the sun and back. Forever and ever. Okay, I've adequately embarrassed him. I'm sorry. (laughs) But God's arm is not too short to save. Be encouraged today. He has not lost sight of what you're holding on to. He's not lost sight of it. He's ever almighty to save. Amen? You can tell I've probably shared in another country because I say amen, amen. Because in those other countries, they're always saying amen back to everything. And so you get used to this dialogue of amen. I can hear when other people have been to other places because you'll hear that amen come back. We're not used to that always. Um, but that's why I say that. I just You kind of get used to hearing that amen come back to you. And if you don't hear it, you say amen. <laughs> like, Somebody listening? All right. So we have been in this study in First Peter called Faithful. And it's just going to take me a quick second here to get all the sheets. But it has been talking about the faithfulness of God. We've been looking at churches exiled, Right. Exiled and scattered over a region. And as I've been reflecting on this study through the book of First Peter, I am reminded of how vital this message is to our circumstances today. The message of First Peter was written to these churches that had been scattered over Asia Minor. They were exiled. They were suffering through persecution. And they were spread across the land. In a time today when the idea of church in this area, in our society, 
is often met with suspicion, with contempt, with hostility or resentment, sometimes even with bitterness. We need a message that is saturated with grace and truth and humility. Just like Peter was talking to those churches in 1 Peter. Peter's admonishment to servanthood, to bearing up under suffering with patience, to never repaying evil for evil or insult with insult, yeah? And living in harmony with brotherly loving kindness, right? With love, humility, even when facing persecution or injustice. That's relevant to where we sit today as a church. So this message needs to be shared across our land and in our churches. As we conclude today the book of First Peter, we're going to be reminded again that humility becomes the means by which we overcome hostility in our society and the platform on which God builds us up. Paul speaks about this, and he speaks about the comfort we receive as, we, as he experienced, or the comfort he received as he experienced this same kind of persecution. He speaks in 2 Corinthians 1, saying, And just as we, talk, this is Paul talking, And just as we experience the abundance of Christ's own sufferings, even more of God's comfort will cascade upon us, through our union with Christ. If troubles weigh us down, that means that we will just receive even more comfort to pass on to you for your deliverance. For the comfort pouring into us empowers us to bring comfort to you. And this comfort upholding you can endure victoriously the same suffering that we experience. Now our hope for you is unshakable, Because we know that just as you share in our suffering, you will also share in God's comforting strength. As we look into Peter's final words in 1 Peter 5 today, I would like to impart to you vision beyond ourselves, beyond our own suffering. I believe that as we learn to walk in humble servanthood with one another, it will lead us into unified, victorious living that will empower us to minister comfort and deliverance to the rest of the world. Amen. We're going to be looking at the an- and answering the questions, what? And who, and how, and when, and why. So let's open to 1 Peter today. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 4 says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ 
and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not of sor- not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So if humility becomes the mean by, means by which we overcome hostility in our society, what do we do? We serve. We serve. We look at this scripture and we say, we hear Peter say, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. I love this. Here is Peter. Here is Peter humbling himself. You know, Peter was something special. He was the first. He was the first disciple that Jesus called. He was the one that recognized who Jesus really was. Mm -hmm. You are the son of the living God, Peter said. Peter was something special. Peter could have easily marched into that place and said, Listen here, you elders. This is how I want you to lead this church. Snip, snap. Shape up, would you? You're doing this all wrong. But no. Peter came in. And he said, as a fellow elder, as a fellow elder, humility comes alongside. Peter comes alongside. He says, this is how we're going to do it. This is how it needs to be done. I've had the chance to serve in a lot of churches. Well, no, take that back. Two. (laughs) Over a long period of time. But I've had the chance to serve under a lot of pastors. Since I was 16. A lot of pastors. And there's something inside of me that has to get close to the pastor. I have to know the heart of the pastor that I serve. And it's been that way since day one, and the Lord has granted me that. I've worked in lots of different areas of ministry with pastors. I've watched up close the staff and the senior pastors, the lead pastors, and served them in different ways. And I've known the hearts and seen the hearts. And I've, I've served under some magnificent men and women pastors and elders of the church and seen it done so beautifully. 
But I've also seen it done so carelessly and watched the hurt that it's brought to the sheep. And I've seen the sheep scatter when it hasn't been done in a heart with, done with humility. We are so blessed here at South Everett to have Pastor Chris and Katrina who come alongside and allow you to get to know their hearts who lead the way by following the one great shepherd, right? So here's Peter, and he comes and he says, Therefore I exhort you elders among you, the elders among you, as your fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. See, he was right there in the thick of it. He had seen it all. But he saw it up close. He knew Jesus. He had walked with Jesus for three years. And he was there that day. And he had seen what the great shepherd had done. But even in this context, see, Peter is speaking from great context here. He's speaking as an elder. He is speaking as one who had watched Jesus suffer. And he's also speaking from what he knows scripture has said over time about serving the sheep. And scripture had taught him in Ezekiel 34 verses 2 through 6. And it says, this is um, the word of the Lord saying to the shepherds that shepherd over the people of Israel at that time. And they weren't doing such a good job of that. And Peter knew the word of the Lord. And he knew what God had to say against the shepherds. And it says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord of God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly and have not, str- have not strengthened, the diseased you have not healed, the broken you have not bound up, the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought the lost, but with force and with severity you have dominated them. And they were scattered for lack of a shepherd And they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains on every hill. And my flock was scattered over the surface of the earth. And there was no one to search or seek for them. So Peter understood God's heart. And he understood what a good shepherd would look like. For he had walked with the good shepherd, right? Jesus was a good shepherd. But he also knew, according to the word of God, what a bad shepherd would look like. And he was saying, don't be the bad shepherd. Don't be the bad shepherd. 
said, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So this is the context in which Peter begins to say, be the good shepherd. For the elders among you, be the good shepherd. This is what we do. We serve. We serve. He concludes this part by saying, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, we know in that time that when, when the race was won, the winner was given a, a laurel wreath, right? That was their prize. They were given a laurel wreath, a, a, wreath, a wreath made of leaves. <laughs> Say that five times fast. But, you know, those leaves, they withered. They dried up and crinkled. I've, I don't know if you know this, but I've been a florist for 30 years. So I know a thing or two about making wreaths, and I know a thing or two about leaves, (laughs) and they wither. But you know, it's actually quite interesting for you that like to garden, and just a little, little side note of interest, for those that like flowers and like to garden, that this unfading, the word unfading, when it talks about the crown of glory, actually is a word, um, the root word is amaranth, and that root word means um, it, it is representative that we use the word for amaranth, which is um, amaranthus, which is a flower. And the flower that we have, you'll see them now blooming now in the fall, and it's this bright kind of dry flower, and it does not fade or lose its color, and it dries that color, and it stays that color. It remains And so he's saying that the wreath you're going to get for your head stays the same bright color. It holds its glory. It never fades. It does not crinkle and fade away. So um, just a little side note for those gardeners, because I know we have lots of them in here. So um, you will receive um, the unfading crown of glory. Amen. So as we look at 1 Peter 5, 5, it goes on to say, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we have to ask the question, who? Who is it that serves? We've said, what do we do? We serve. So now who is it that serves? Because, you know, Peter was not just talking to the elders. It goes on to say, now you young man, young men, all of you. Now let's just look for just a second. Let's consider, well, are we talking about elders being like those who just naturally mature? Or um, is he speaking to people who are of mature spirit? And I think it's safe to say in this context, he is talking to both those who naturally um, are older and those who are naturally younger. But oftentimes those who are of older have more position, more maturity um, and hold a position of authority in the church. Okay. 
So we are talking to everybody, though. It, regardless, it, he addresses that everyone clothe yourself in humility. This applies across the board. Clothe yourself in, in humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If we go on in, cha- in verse 6, it says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, for he may exalt you at the proper time. So that answers the question, how do we serve? How do we serve? Not only do we serve, and we all serve in humility, but how do we do this? We do this by clothing ourselves in humility. I'd like to take a moment to to look at scripture in second or in Philippians two. Philippians two one through nine. Because the greatest example that we can give of this is Jesus Himself, right? And for most many of you, this may be a very familiar scripture, but we're going to take a minute to look at it. Philippians two one through nine says, "If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ." If there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. The scripture tells us that Jesus emptied himself. He is the greatest example of a suffering servant. Here we have Jesus as God. And he empties himself of his complete reputation in heaven. He's still God. He doesn't empty himself of his deity. But he empties himself of his reputation, of the chance to be known here on earth as God, of his glory. He comes in the form of human likeness. He comes, well, we know how he comes. He comes as a baby. And he comes poor. There was nothing in him to attract us to him in his form. He completely emptied himself. 
of his reputation. So how do we serve? We clothe ourselves in humility. And this is how Christ clothed himself in humility. This is one of the ways, right? So in knowing this, can we look at ourselves and say, how can I do this? How can we look at ourselves and say, how can I do this? How can I empty myself? Of my glory. How can I lay myself down? Pastor Chris talked about it while he spoke up here this morning even. He set those titles down. And then he buried the titles. He doesn't wear them as a big sign on his t-shirt. When he enters the room. Instead he walks alongside. Right? How can we empty ourselves as Christ emptied himself? He was obedient to the point of shame, humiliation, reproach, pain, suffering, and death. Those are all things I like to avoid. How about you? (laughs) But yet the word of God says, pick up your cross and follow me daily. Sometimes it costs that. Now, I'm not saying go out there and, and be looking for places, be slamming your finger in the car door on purpose. You know, I'm not saying do that, but sometimes we enter into places where we pick up, where we carry, that cost us pain, the persecution. Pain is a part of that. Right? Reproach. Right? Suffering. And let me say that there are many who carry the name of Jesus, that death is a part of that. We just don't see it in our society very often. This is how Jesus lived out humility, right? He clothed himself in humility. I think one of the most beautiful examples of how Jesus did this before his death on the cross was at the Last Supper. When he was with his disciples... He had them all gathered, and knowing that he was going to die, so he gathered his disciples around him. And it says that um, he rose from supper, and he laid aside his outer garment. And taking a towel, he girded himself with it. He wrapped it around him. That's a beautiful picture of what Jesus, what Philippians just said, right? that he left all of his glory and he came in the form of human likeness. He laid aside that outer garment and he took and he wrapped humility around him. Because you know as a servant that washes the feet, that is the lowest 
servant of the house. In fact, any Greek or any Jewish person would think that utterly despicable. Right? And we saw the strongest, the mightiest, do the job of the weakest, the most despised. Making it honorable in the sight of the Lord. Because God said that therefore he also exalted him to the highest place. So really when you think about it, it doesn't seem like that would be too tough. Washing someone's feet. Wrapping a towel around you. Humbling yourself to serve. Jesus told him to do likewise, right? What a beautiful example. He said in Mark, Jesus said in Mark 9, 35, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Let's do likewise. First Peter 5 continues on and it says, Casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. So we take this mindset and this action of humbling yourself before God and humbling yourself in service to one another. And the way we do that is clothing ourselves with humility. And the other way we do that is by casting all our cares upon God because he cares for us. It's a twofold thing. We do it by clothing ourselves in humility, emptying ourselves and clothing ourselves in humility, and then by casting all our cares on God. Because, you know, we can't do that on our own. We can't just in our own strength just like empty ourselves out and serve everybody. That's not something we are capable of doing. We can't carry all that, the, the burden of all that in and of ourselves. Right? We must understand that for ourselves, we have to understand that he cares for us. It says, cast your cares, all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. See, we have to understand for ourselves, because he cares for you, we have to understand that for ourselves. We have to know in our knower. That's what my my, uh, friend and mentor, Pastor Sandy Grace, used to say. You have to know that in your knower. You have to know that in your knower. We have to know that in our knower before we can ever share that with someone else. 
before we can pass that on to someone else, we have to know that he cares for us. And we know that only as we humble ourselves and allow God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Chris was speaking this morning in our time of prayer. I don't think I can do this. I kind of have two hands. Um, But he was saying, you know, um, we tend to run ahead of God. Can I paraphrase? We tend to run ahead of God. We, we ask God to do something and then we, we're trying to do it in our own strength, you know, and that's part of it. Um, we want to humble and empty ourselves and serve God, but we have to realize we have to humble ourselves under God in order to serve others well. We can't, we can't outdo God. We can't do it in our own strength. We need to humble ourselves under God. We have to allow God to do for us the things we can't do for ourselves. When we come under the headship and the lordship of God, when we follow God into those places, then he, in his power and strength, goes before us and enables us to do those things, to serve well. Because we've clothed ourselves not only in humility towards man, towards one another here, but we've clothed ourselves in humility before God. And when we humble ourselves before God, then he exalts us. So it's having that right understanding before God that enables us to have that right relationship of humility before one another. This is so important because Peter continues on. He says this is so important that we learn to do this. Because, verses 8 and 9 says, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So we know what we are to do. We are to serve. And we are, everyone is to serve. And we do this by clothing ourselves in humility before God, humbly coming before him and before one another, casting our cares upon him. But we're, we need to know, well, when do we do this? And the answer is we do it now. This is a now moment. This is a now and at all times moment. This is imperative. This is a be of sober spirit and be on alert moment. It's a wake up and pay attention. Hello? Whoa? Are you watching? Moment.
you need to be watchful. We all need to be watchful. We need to be full of attention and vigilant and awake because our enemy, who is the adversary, who is the devil, who is a false accuser of the brethren and of God, is wanting to swallow us up. And he doesn't stop. We aren't called to give up. We're called to stand firm. We're called to press on. Right? Word of God says, resist, stand against, don't run away, don't run away, stand, be watchful, stand firm in our faith. Ephesians 6, 16, or 18 says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. At all times. At all times, it says. With all perseverance. Verse 16 says, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. We have to be willing to stand. We stand in our faith, and that faith, that shield of faith, extinguishes the the darts of the enemy. Do you understand what that looks like? It can look like lots of different things, I suppose. But the enemy is an accuser. He's an accuser of God. Makes you question the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the the word of God's promises over your life. It's the voice of the enemy. So what do you do? And that's a constant, right? When those voices come, when those ideas and those thoughts come, we take up that shield of faith. We stand. God causes us to be victorious. When we humble ourselves before him, when we come to him casting our cares upon him, how do we cast our cares upon God? Through prayer. Right? Prayer is just talking to God. I mean, it's not like this. There's lots of different kinds of prayer. 
lots of different, I mean, there's lots of different ways I talk to people. You know, sometimes, sometimes I'm just sitting having a quiet conversation. Sometimes I'm a little bit more animated. Well, here I'm talking to you. It's not like I do this every day, you know, with a microphone in my hand or something, you know. So there's lots of different ways we talk. And there's lots of different ways we talk to God. Right? Sometimes we're sitting having a quiet conversation. Sometimes we have a little bit more of a microphone. <laughs> and we're a little bolder, right? Sometimes I'm reading a letter to him. Hey, God. Remember when you said, I'm declaring your word to you. Remember those promises over my life. I'm standing on those today, God. Sometimes I'm interceding for someone. That's how we cast our cares upon God, is through prayer. Because he cares. Because he cares. Because he cares for you. And the place you learn that he cares for you is through that prayer. Is through that desperation. And when you've spent time doing that, you will learn the more of that care he has for you. Because he will begin to answer those prayers. And you'll think, oh, he heard that when he cares. Oh my word, did you, did you guys see that? Did you, did you hear that? Did you see how he intervened in that? He cares. Oh man, God, thanks, you care. Wow, and your faith will be built up. And you will cast all the more. Amen. Amen. So we must be watchful. We must be watchful. Because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy what God is doing. Because God is always doing. Always doing. God doesn't sleep. That's Buddha that sleeps, by the way. God does not sleep. Okay? Buddha even admits it. Yeah. That's stupid. God does not sleep. God is good. And he's always working. And what he does is perfect. You can count on that. So we must stand firm. Guard against division. That's what humility does. That's what humbling ourselves does. It guards against division. Guards against division amongst ourselves when we humble ourselves and serve one another. Guards against division with our Heavenly Father when we've humbled ourselves. We find that we we hear the heart of God. Find that we are doing the will of God as we humble ourselves. Guards against anxious ways. Guards against fear and anxiety as we humble ourselves and cast our cares upon him. We stand in victory. I want you to understand that 
victory. You have already won. You already have the victory in Christ Jesus. Because I stand on the foundation of Christ Jesus. He's already won the victory. It's already yours, girlfriend. It's already yours. Ask him. You stand. He will strengthen you to stand. You stand. You stand in victory. And when you walk, when he says walk, he'll help you walk. But he is able to keep you. He's able to keep you. He's able to keep you. We stand in a position of victory. Now we need to get our minds wrapped around it. See, that's why we have to be on alert and sober, watchful, because the enemy is a deceiver, and he's going to come in, and he's going to, you're going to be standing on that rock, and he's going to go, boop, and you're going to go, oh, with those thoughts. Maybe I don't stand in victory. Maybe, maybe I messed up, and I'm falling off of victory. No. Jesus is the solid rock. He is able to keep you. Keep your eyes on him. Cast your cares upon him. Stand in a place of victory. Stand in a place of victory. The enemy works here. He doesn't have the authority or the ability to knock you off of your decision in Christ Jesus. That's your decision. And as long as you continue faithfully in your decision in Christ Jesus, as long as you have chosen that stand, the enemy can't knock you off that stand. He's just going to come up and threaten. He's going to come up and he is going to roar at you. Let me tell you, I've seen that roar. I've heard that roar and it has terrified me. But he doesn't have any claws and he doesn't have any teeth. He's just kind of scary. But God is bigger. And my foundation is on Christ Jesus. Know that you stand in a position of victory when you have claimed Christ Jesus. Be alert and be watchful because he comes. And he is looking for someone to devour. That he may devour. Ain't going to happen. You, discer- you determine right now, ain't going to happen. Because my, ro- my foundation is on Christ Jesus. Ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. Because he cares for me. Sometimes when we suffer, even in the midst of suffering, through trials and testing, God is doing a work in us. Sometimes when we're suffering, we question our faith. We question, why is this happening? And we're, we're like this on the rock. Whoa, this is getting scary. Whoa, right? This is hard. I don't know. This is, this is, this is hard. And it's understandable because suffering's hard. I get it. Sometimes we're just like, I don't want to stay anymore. I I just want to sit for a little while. Right? 
understand. Suffering causes us sometimes to question. But God is doing a work in us in that suffering. 1 Peter 5, 10 through 14. Let's finish reading up this. We'll finish here. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you, all who are in Christ. See, God is doing a work in us through hard times, through trials, through testing, through suffering, through persecution, just like he was doing in the church scattered abroad in Asia Minor that Peter was speaking to. Humility was key to that church as it is to ours, not only for our own sakes, but for the sake of the community and the society that we are in today. In the midst of that, God is doing a work in us. He's always working. He is perfecting us. He's equipping us in every, with every good thing to do His will. He's confirming or fixing our position. He's fixing us. He's establishing our hearts without blame in holiness. He's strengthening our position. And he's establishing us foundationally. Matthew 7 says, And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. Oftentimes suffering begs the question, Why God? Why? But we need to reframe that question to what? God, what? Are you showing me about yourself in the midst of this hard time? In the midst of this persecution? What are you showing me about you? What do I need to know about you at this time? For there is grace. I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. That is what Peter says to this church, these churches. This is the true grace of God. God is faithful. Stand firm in it. He is mighty to save. I want to read to you one last scripture here. found in the Passion Translation in Psalms 126. When all suffering, when all persecution is over. You know, why, why do we sow seeds? You know, we sow seeds in life, right? This is 
this is a process of sowing seeds in t- with tears when we suffer, when we, per- we feel persecuted, when things are hard. But we always sow seeds with one thing in mind. And that is because there is a harvesting of the seeds. But even the harvest is not the thing we call to mind. We don't just, we don't just sow seeds to harvest a bundle. That wouldn't be any fun. Big deal. But that harvest is for consumption. It's the feasting. It's the celebrating. Right? Peter's con- Let's read this uh, psalm real quick. Oh, it happens when you do phones. It says, uh, Psalms 126. It was like a dream come true when you freed us from our bondage and brought us back to Zion. We laughed and laughed and overflowed with gladness. We were left shouting for joy and singing your praise. All the nations saw and joined in saying, The Lord has done great miracles for them. Yes, he did mighty miracles and we are overjoyed. Now, Lord, do it again. Restore us to our former glory. May streams of your refreshing flow over us until our dry hearts are drenched again. Those who sow their tears as seeds will reap a harvest with joyful shouts of glee. They may weep as they go out carrying their seeds to sow, but they will return with joyful laughter and shouting with gladness as they bring back armloads of blessings and a harvest overflowing. That's a promise. That's a promise. Those who go out sowing in tears will reap in joy. So we keep our eyes on God and we keep our eyes on the promise. And we continue to sow. We sow in humility. We sow in servanthood. We humble ourselves before God and before one another. One final promise. As Peter closed this up was peace be to you all who are in Christ. Jesus says, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. Be encouraged today that Jesus sees you where you're at. Jesus knows your beginning to your end. And he sees, he says, don't be troubled. Keep your eyes on him. There's a harvest coming. There's a reaping coming of joy. Don't be shaken. Don't be shaken. Don't be shaken. Instead, be at peace. Do not be fearful. It says, I got this. Accept my peace. And then we carry that peace as we go from here to the rest of the world. Amen. 
Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Be blessed today. Amen. You've been listening to a podcast from South Everett Foursquare Church. For more information about us, please visit us online at www.southeverett.org.